What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O and the host of the What to Know podcast show. And I am... I have the pleasure today of being joined by Dr. Leonard Lee, who is many different titles. Uh, First of all, I'll welcome you so you can uh, say hello to to the group, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about your award you're getting this year and and what you do uh, for a day-to-day job, if that's okay. Sure. Thank you you so much for uh, for having me on. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. And uh, so one of the the impetus for having this uh, conversation today, in addition to the fact that I think you'll, you'll see pretty quickly that uh, Dr. Lee is quite accomplished. Uh, he is this year's 2018 Harvey Nussbaum MD Distinguished Service Award recipient at the Hartball. Uh, we just got done interviewing this year's chair, Adrian Adams, um, and that award will be presented this weekend, although the folks listening to this, it will now be uh, a couple weeks in the rearview mirror. Um, this is an honor that's awarded annually to an individual who has made a lifetime commitment to building healthier communities. Certainly, people will understand that more as we get into our conversation. And it's also named in honor of the late, uh, the late Harvey E. Nussbaum, MD, a renowned cardiologist from St. Barnabas Medical Center. Um, in reading your bio, <clears throat> I, I was sort of laughing to myself a little bit because you, like many of our guests, do a lot of things. You're a professor of surgery. You uh, are the James W. McKenzie MD endowed chair. And most recently, and I don't know whether this has been a year or so, but now the chair of the Department of Surgery at Rutgers, Robert Wood Johnson Medical School. Um, A, congratulations. That's a lot. Plus, looking at your website, you have lots of other things going on. But I do have to ask, you know, and I'm always curious, um, you've done all these things. You teach, you actually perform surgery. Did you know early days that you were going to be a surgeon? And, you know, where did that come about? And and what was this passion around committing yourself to uh, building healthier communities? So I had grown up in a in a family of physicians. My dad uh, is is a retired general surgeon, and my mom uh, was a physician as well. My mom was uh, they both uh, graduated and trained in Korea back in the day, and my mom was one of two women in the medical school. So so she certainly was not one to <laughs> that you would want to mess with back in that day. Um, but, but both my parents were my role models all throughout life, both related to, uh, life, family, career, how, how to live, how to conduct yourself, how to enjoy yourself, all that. And as a consequence of that, medicine was largely a lot of what I knew. Um, as it get, as it, as it got closer to me applying to things like medical school, my dad had a very serious sit down with me saying, are you sure this is what you want to do? This is a lifelong commitment. This is not uh, just a job. And we talked things through, and um, it affirmed my it, it affirmed my commitment even more so. So then I went to medical school. I always wanted to be a surgeon like my dad. Um, all throughout my general surgery residency training, I thought I had wanted to be a plastic surgeon. But after I applied to plastic surgery training programs, I quickly switched gears. I was unhappy with that decision because I had always loved cardiac. I was a little daunted and a little intimidated by a commitment to cardiac because I felt like it was a bigger commitment um, in terms of my life and in terms of my time. But I was much happier after I had made that decision. And years later, here we are. 
Well, it's uh, it's an amazing journey, and I suspected that there may be some family uh, physicians in the mix or surgeons in the mix because I know sometimes that is, uh, you know, there's that passion and and sort of that either you run in the opposite direction or you follow yeah. in the footsteps. Well, I mean, the the great thing about having uh, physicians in the family, particularly a surgeon, is is you see the good, obviously, but you also see the bad. You see the nights away from family or missed. Um, functions because of commitments to a, uh, a sick patient, et cetera. So you, so you see, you see what it's really like from the inside. And I think that's an advantage. Yeah. And that's, that's interesting you say that. Cause I think a lot of people only see that, Oh, their parents were, you know, one of their parents was a, a surgeon. And so, you know, clearly they steered them in that direction, but you're right. You probably do see maybe even more of that, you know, bad side or the, the, the downside, right. The missed opportunity, which does really require this commitment um, which, you know, clearly is one of the reasons why you're winning this award this weekend or, or being uh, <laughs> presented with this award. I do want to, for the folks listening, and we do have a lot of uh, health clients and um, folks that do work in the world of medical device or pharma or et cetera, um, but you're a cardiothoracic surgeon, and I think it would be helpful right. for folks to maybe to understand a little bit more about, you know, what do you specifically do? Like, what does a day in your life look sure. like? Uh, cardiothoracic surgery is, is a surgical subspecialty whereby we treat uh, diseases of the chest, uh, the lungs, the esophagus or food pipe, the trachea or windpipe, uh, the heart, and everything in between all those structures. So basically from the base of the neck to the diaphragm or, or upper abdomen. And, and then cardiothoracic surgery itself is then div further divided into thoracic surgery and cardiac surgery. So my specialty is adult cardiac surgery, and we deal primarily with diseases of the heart and the great vessels, namely the aorta principally. Um, everything from valves to aneurysms to coronary artery disease and, and all combinations thereof. Well, thank you for explaining that. And that actually was a more detailed uh, definition than I've ever heard. So that I learned a little <laughs> bit there as well. I appreciate that. Um, one of the things I do want to ask, and I didn't have this on the on the pre-prepared question. So if you decide you don't want to sure. answer this question, that we can kick That's it right. out afterward. But I, I think with all of the, um, and part of why I want to ask this is because you are also a professor. With all this artificial mm -hmm. intelligence, machine learning, virtual reality, you know, all these new technologies coming into play. I would love to just get your take on that and like, how are you seeing that impact your field, both as a teacher as well as a practitioner? You know, uh, I'm sorry, and I, and I forgot to answer what my typical day looks like. Um, my, my typical day depends on the day of the week. My operative days are basically Mondays and Fridays where I do, where I spend all day in the operating room doing anywhere from three to four hearts per day on each of those days. And um, we deal with a lot of sick patients, a lot of patients who get transferred to us from outside institutions who are incapable of dealing with the degree of sickness that the patient may have um, given their, their heart disease. A typical operation will take anywhere from two to three hours, and we do have a whole host of people in the operating room who help us. The people who run the heart-lung machine, the anesthesiologists who are specifically trained in cardiac anesthesia, uh, nurses, advanced what we call advanced practice providers who are PAs and nurse practitioners who physically help us in the operating room, and they also help us 
outside of the operating room and taking care of the patients once they come out, whether it be in the ICU or on the step-down floor. The other, the other days of the week are primarily taken up by administrative duties related to the Department of Surgery, and then um, um, basically two half days a week, I also see patients in the office. Great. So, so that's that part. Um, in terms of uh, um, technology, cardiac surgery is an extremely technology-driven field. There's no way that we would be able to do all the things that we do without very advanced technology. We have a heart-lung machine, and the purpose of this machine is to function both as the heart and the lungs while we're operating on a heart that's not moving. Uh, it supports the circulation. It supports gas exchange, which is what the lungs primarily do throughout the entire duration that we're operating on the heart. We have lots of pumps and machines that can maintain patients' lives with uh, who are suffering from a failing heart. And these are pumps uh, that can stay in the patient for days or weeks and sometimes months. Um, we they can be used instead of a transplant in some small cases, and then we obviously have things like cardiac transplantation or heart transplant. And again, without technology, there's no way that we'd be able to advance uh, to that point. We use computers every day for documentation purposes, also for electronic medical records. Um, so we we everywhere within healthcare we are truly dependent on technology. I can only see that technology will make our lives easier and more efficient and hopefully safer for patients uh, in the end as newer and newer computer programs come out, new devices come out. There's always something being developed for healthcare. Yeah, it's one of the things, thank you for indulging me in that, and, and it is something that we see because the other part of our business really focuses on technology, and so seeing that convergence of health and technology, it's uh, it, they are very symbiotic, and you're seeing more and more of that, and I think we're the, we've, the best is yet to come. You know, we're only seeing that scratching the surface. Oh, I um, agree, 100%. I do want to shift gears a little bit to the heart ball, which, uh, again, as people listen to this, will have uh, taken place a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you were, I found out today, the chair, I believe, three years ago. You're being yes. honored uh, at this ball. You also are belong, uh, you're, um, I think, a on the board or have a senior position uh, with the American Heart Association, you know, as yes. part of what you do. Um, talk a little bit about highlights, you know, maybe from the past and what people can expect and I, part of my goal is working with the American Heart Association is to help people understand how they can get involved sure. going forward. So maybe going to next year's, but also, you know, thinking about ways that they can they can take advantage of that. So uh, I think it's important to know um, what the American Heart Association is is all about. There are a lot of things and a lot of information that's disseminated from the American Heart Association about heart healthy diets and CPR and and a lot of those uh, initiatives, which are tremendous and have largely changed how we live our lives based on data. But another very, very important part of the American Heart Association is support for research. A lot, everything that we do is based on research. We need proof that the things that we're doing to treat patients um, is, is going to work and it's safe and it's going to change how we approach our patients. 
So without that research, there's no way for us to know that smoking causes lung disease, vascular disease, causes cancer, et cetera. There's, there's no way for us to know that without that research. So the American Heart Association is one of those independent bodies that supports research through grant funding. And these grants are key to maintaining uh, basic science labs and clinical trials moving forward to for greater discovery so that we can then hopefully do a better job of what we're doing. Well, that, thank you for actually taking us down that path because I think it is good to understand what the American Heart Association does. Um, I know also just to get into some of the finer points, you know, this is probably not dissimilar from other uh, charitable events, which um, Earlier, we heard that Adrian mentioned that uh, they've hit their goal this year, which is great, but always looking for more contributions, and you can actually start your own fundraiser rallying around this um, at the event itself. There's a phenomenal um, silent auction, and so lots of different ways to sort of attend and support and raise money, um, so just an all-around you know, great event. I, I do want to shift gears again to focus maybe a little bit more on you, and I will tell you, by the way, because I do like to do a little research ahead of time and you have a, a, a nicely laid out website at the very bottom, you have a link to your Instagram account. And so yeah. I have to tell you, um, I appreciated <laughs> seeing that other flavor. And I, I think that's one of the things that's really nice is when people do choose to share that. It looks like you're a little bit of a foodie, which I am too. And yeah. I appreciated that. Yeah. Um, but that does tee us up to our next question. And so one of the things I do like to find out about our guests is, you know, we like to know a little more about what makes them tick. And so one of the first things I like to ask is, now that I've tipped off to, you know, that you're a foodie, but uh, what's something about you that maybe people do not know that you'd be willing to share with us? Yeah, I, I well, actually related to food, I think most people that know me know that I absolutely love good food. Um, uh, I, I try not to eat too much, but I do love food and I will cert seek it out. And oftentimes, uh, my wife is also the same, and we often travel uh, in, in search of good food. Mm. So we and we love food, we love travel, we love the arts. My wife is a classical pianist. Um, so that's that's those are my main distractions outside of working. Those are some pretty good distractions, and like yeah, said, I'm, yeah, I'm with no, you on no, the food no front. Doubt. So yes, um, the next one I do like to ask, and I. I hesitate to ask you this just because you're so busy. I can't imagine you finding time, but you, you seem like the type that probably appreciates books, whether you listen to them or, or read them. And, you know, is there anything over the last year or so uh, that you've read that you'd like to share with the audience? I do this because I know that finding out what smart people are thinking about and what they're studying or, or learning from is always helpful. Or it could also be something that you've read over the course of your life that you'd like to share. But um, if you'd be open to, to answering that, I'd appreciate it. Sure, sure. Um, you know, I, I do read uh, a fair number of, of business type books on leadership and things like that. I also like biographies. But one of my favorite books is a very, very quick read. And it is relevant to what we're talking about today. And that is heart disease. And, and heart surgery more specifically. And it's a book called The King of Hearts. And it's a very, very quick read. And it's the story of the early days of heart surgery and how the heart-lung machine was discovered and all about uh, how heart surgery in general got started. Um, it's a great, great book and it gives you a tremendous amount of background. You do not need to be a physician or in the medical field to understand 
understand it. It's it's written for lay people, and it's a it's a great book. Well, thank you for that recommendation, and I had not heard that one before, so I'm going to make a mental note of that. I have lots of good books queued up for my <laughs> Audible account because I have a a decent commute every day living out in the Bay Area, so uh, I'm always looking for new and exciting material. Um, the last question, and then I'll let you go, because I believe today, you know, since it is Friday, is a uh, operative one, as you said, yes, and it so is. I'm sure you have other surgeries to go do, so we, we do appreciate you taking the time. Uh, this is the, you know, theoretical, you're stranded on a deserted island. You can only take one album with you. Uh, which album would you choose and why? So um, I listen to a lot of jazz music and mostly uh, I listen to music while I operate. And um, anything by Pat Metheny, who is my favorite jazz guitarist, I would be satisfied listening to all day, every day. Well, I love that. I don't get a ton of people that uh, go the jazz route. Um, I, maybe out of the 60-ish people I've interviewed for this particular series, maybe only two or three have chosen the jazz route. And Pat, Pat Metheny is certainly a, a fantastic choice. So um, <laughs> with that, I will uh, wrap us up because I know, as I said, you have surgeries to go do and, yes, and uh, do. important things. Um, but this is Aaron Strout, the CMO of W2O, the host of the What to Know podcast. And I have had the pleasure of spending a little bit of time with Dr. Leonard Lee, um, this year's Harvey Nussbaum uh, MD Distinguished Service Award at the Hartball, uh, Professor of Surgery, um, the Endowed Chair at the uh, James W. McKenzie, uh, and then the Chair of the Department of Surgery at Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson Medical School, uh, among many other things. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today, Dr. Lee. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. Want more episodes of What to Know? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe on iTunes, the podcast app, the Stitcher app, or Spotify, and view the podcast page at w2ogroup.com slash what to know.